0: Welcome to the Life Giver Podcast. My name is Corey Weathers, and I am so excited to share with you, um, as a finale to the 2018 series, a life giver story that is really important to me. And I'm so honored to bring Heather Turner. Um, onto the podcast and onto the Facebook page too, because this is going to be a video that we're going to be um, specially sharing on Facebook as well. And so I'm going to tell you all about Heather here in just a minute, but I just wanted to say, welcome, Heather. Um, thank you for joining me. Hello. We are so excited to have you here. Um, this episode, if you will, or this conversation is all about your story and how it's being portrayed currently. you are the wife of an active duty army chaplain currently. but there is a movie called indivisible that's coming out October 26 2018 just in case you're watching or listening to this much later um, that is based off of your story and your marriage and it's a vulnerable story. it's a, it's a story that all of us can relate to, especially those that are of us that are in the military. Um, or even some of our first responder couples that maybe we'll talk about a little bit later here. Um, but it's a vulnerable story of your marriage. And so I want to say thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for um, having this conversation today. I know it's going to be um, really meaningful to a lot of people.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. I appreciate you, uh, having this discussion with families, particularly military families and first responders families.
0: Yeah. So what I think we could do is just kind of jump right in. What I would actually love to know is, you know, this movie is a lot about your first assignment um, as a couple, your first deployment and what that was like. Um, But I'd love for you to take us back a little bit and actually share with us maybe a little bit about your story of how did you guys decide to come in as an active duty army chaplain family. It's not something that all um pastors, ministers, youth ministers um, choose to do. So tell me a little bit about how you guys made that decision.
1: Well, I would have to back up to before we even met. Darren and I had both served overseas in and um, in, in missions and in Asia. and so when we met, we were back in the United States, but we always had a desire to be in some form of missions. and so, we worked at the University of Georgia in international student ministry, and that was wonderful. Um, Darren also worked part-time on church staff um, as their campus outreach um, pastor. And you know, as we grew older and we started having kids, we started thinking, yeah, I just don't know if this is our long-term fit to be on a college campus. We were getting older and the students were getting younger. At the same time, um, 9-11 happened. And about that time, um, we really started praying just for the Lord's direction in our life and what that would look like. Now, I had always thought that Darren would be a great fit for the military. He's just kind of a, he's a guy's guy. He's just kind of rough around the edges. He actually wasn't a great fit for church ministry. (laughs) And, so he took a weekend away every january he would go away um to pray and fast and just kind of seek direction for our life and review the previous year and while he was praying he he just felt like the lord kept bringing up this issue of going into the military and at that point we didn't even know in what capacity um so just through a series of circumstances providentially organized the lord um had us come in contact with really my spiritual grandmother um who married an army chaplain and Suzanne Bracken, her name is now Suzanne Peck. And so we got in touch with them. They invited us up, shared about what it meant to be a chaplain in the military. And so we walked away from that weekend, really feeling confirmed that that's what we would pursue. So we sold our house, sold everything we had and went off to graduate school.
0: Well, this is such a Common story that I hear—I know it's definitely true in our marriage—but what I hear from other chaplain families that there's um, nothing wrong with obviously doing ministry in church settings and organizations and nonprofits and that sort of thing. But there's something about the calling of of an army chaplain or military chaplain um, that requires this kind of grittiness, if you will, or this calling to kind of um, really do life among military families and do something a little bit different. I know that that was a, a huge. Factor in our own decision, and so when you guys came in, you were first assigned to Fort Stewart, which I very much relate to. that was our second assignment where oh, we really? also, yes where we also went through a deployment at Fort Stewart, oh. so I must say i 've already had a chance to screen the movie it 's a fantastic movie, very well done. Um, and if I can actually just say, too, you know, I know military families, would tend to be really particular about how movies are done, especially if it's about military. Um, but I was really pleased as a military spouse, I was really pleased with the overall quality of the movie and how careful they were with um, the military lifestyle and some of those specifics. But your, this, for this movie, for this stage of your life, it's really talking about this first entry into the military community, um, your first assignment, which turned into your first deployment as well. And so, um, would I affectionately know Fort Stewart as the Marin Express? I'm not sure if it was described as that for you back then. No, <laughs> so it definitely was, you know, it's not as intense as Fort Bragg is, but it is definitely an intense place to be Yeah, where there's lots of deployment rotations happening. So talk with us a little bit about what that was like for you to come in to that first assignment going from college ministry into military ministry.
1: We were truly deer in headlights. Neither of us had any family experience. None we knew no one who'd served in the military. So Darren will set likes to say that he didn't even know how to spell lieutenant when he first came in. And so we came, uh, we signed in in uh, February, which we, they deployed in May so as they were ramping up to go to uh well they went to jrtc locally because they didn't have enough time to go out west um they were starting to have the pre-deployment briefs which just where they start to prepare families for what to expect and just getting all of your affairs in orders in order before you leave and our commander did not was not married and so they were asking for frg Leaders, I didn't really even know what FRG was, but I was so excited to jump in and help that I raised my hand, <laughs> and so okay. I really accidentally volunteered to be an FRG leader, and which I would never trade now because I learned so much and those friendships are so dear. Um, so yeah, he deployed just a few months after we settled in, and by this point um, we had three children. So uh, Ellie was six, Samuel's four, and Mary Beth was ten months. And so we jumped in with both feet. It was very accurately portrayed that we were, you know, young and green, and Darren is just gung ho, and I'm just gung ho. We're gonna save the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and so quickly, just right at the beginning of that deployment, that summer is when um, the it was just a very bad summer. They started pushing south of Baghdad, Baghdad off the main fobs off to out to the. Uh, villages where they were living and staying into the what they called mini fobs, mm-hmm. um, and so that's when uh, they start, started experiencing a lot of casualties and injuries.
0: Now, um, I also had the experience of serving on a care <clears throat> team, on a go team. Um, was that something that you also had a chance to participate in as the FRG leader, um, really working with some of those families who had lost soldiers?
1: Yeah, so they did offer the care team training, so I think almost all of the FRG leaders went to the care team training. And so, yeah, it was um, great training and just, it's just really tough because, you know, you do, you're kind of the liaison from the time that they get the knock on the door to find out that, you know, their spouse has, has passed. Um, it, for some of them may take days before their family can arrive or their help can arrive. So they do just need in some ways, just, you know, practical on the boots on the ground support of who's going to go pick up the kids after school. You know, I, I was supposed to have, you know, a meeting with the kids at teacher and there are just all these very practical things, not to mention, of course, meals and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just, it's heart wrenching because you're, you're experiencing what they're in when it's very fresh, you know, within hours of them finding out and, and I think the hardest part for me was, uh, or the hardest one of those for me was uh, going to a house where there was uh, there were children at home at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a twelve-year-old daughter, and no one could find her, and so we're looking around the house, and we open uh, the coat closet to find her sitting in the floor of the closet, and she's got her dad's boots with her, and she's just so she's hiding in the closet, just trying to process what is happening all around her right now and it's just yeah it's just it's very heavy and we lost we lost 19 guys Mm that deployment and had 99 serious injuries um so it was just it felt like it was just constant
0: that is a Um, significant level of loss to go through during a deployment and um You know, I I relate so much to what you're saying. It is such a, you know, I I didn't know how to describe it um, other than calling it sacred spaces, is what my husband and I had to, to, because there was something about being that care team leader or being that person that sits with those families that is such a sacred. Space, like it is such a sacred moment yes. um, that few people understand the intensity, um, the yeah. honor, really the honor to be in that spot and to sit with someone in the first moments of their grief, um, and and to also have to manage so much of what's going on inside you as well. Um, right. It is it, all I can say is that it's a huge honor to be a part of that. Um, And it's definitely a life changer. And so I know that for you, I mean, significant loss that you're, we'll talk with about your husband here in a second and what some of his duties were as a chaplain during that deployment. But this was a significant experience for you to go through this deployment (coughs) as an FRG leader, um, walking through just life and grief and loss with a lot of these families. Um, Mm -hmm. So what was that like for you during the deployment? Um, What changed in you while Darren was away? I think what changed in me was
1: just a sense of an ownership of the choice we'd made to go into the military. And, you know, before it was always his career and I just took care of the kids, but with this, it was just very different. And those moments of working with the other women in leadership, but also walking through, um, those, those sacred moments with people who are experiencing that really it suddenly, it became mine too. Mm -hmm. And it became not just, his job or his vision, um, this was very much, I was very much invested now in, in our life and in his ministry. It was our ministry now.
0: Mm-hmm. Because you had a lot of your own um, opportunity to serve in your own way while he was gone. And so this really does become us as a couple, what you are doing for service members during deployment, what I'm doing for families back at home. And it really is an us thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, more than any other thing we'd experienced before.
0: And so, um, for those who are listening who may not be familiar with all of what a chaplain does, you know, they do a whole lot more than just counseling um, and maybe pa- uh, preaching in a chapel. So, share with everybody a little bit of what Darren was doing during this deployment while you guys were apart. He just spent a lot of time. Um, just being with the soldiers. So when
1: they traveled to these remote locations, he would travel with them, um, just check in on them, play basketball with them. That was that was very accurate in the movie. Just really, um, Darren's a, a uh, he loves a good cigar, so he will just sit out late at night around a fire and smoke cigars. And so most of what he did during that deployment was just relationship building, and just the ministry of presence, just being there when things went wrong but also being there when things were going right mm-hmm. and you know the in the movie they show um uh lance who finds out his wife is pregnant and he's celebrating that so you know those having those high moments and then having the relationship deposits invested in those friendships so that when Um, the bottom does fall out that he he's established bridges there for them to have a safe place to go to. But yeah, so he would, he um, obviously he would do Bible studies when he went out to all of these different locations um, and just a lot of counseling, you know, when in an infantry battalion, it's a lot of very young soldiers, a lot of very young marriages, a lot of very small children, a lot of um, struggling marriages. And so, probably 90% of what he did was just talking with guys through their marriage relationships, through work struggles that they're having with their peers or their superiors. Um, Yeah. So really just the ministry of presence and then for the guys who have tons of time on their hands, he would just have Bible study and they would, some of them would come just because they simply had nothing else to do. (laughs) Um, And so that was a really sweet time for him too. And then there were just days where, you know, he's helped shovel and poop and digging out a, a place to put a tarp to have a swimming pool with everybody else. And yeah, so it's just, they're just living life together.
0: So I think this is a really good place um, in our conversation to pause and maybe show the trailer. Um, so this is the trailer for Indivisible.
1: So today, third and fourth platoons are gonna sweep our next door neighbors again. See if we can slow down the welcome gifts coming over the wall. I'd like for you to have more non combat experience first, but a, a military wide shortage of chaplains says otherwise. Well, I signed up to be where the need is, sir. 15 months without this face. Get out! We've got to move! the be okay. They can call it the Family Readiness Group, but nobody's ever really ready. Divorce has filed in the last three months. But soldiers losing families and having nothing to go home to is not the stabilizing force we need around here. Really? Just let me know. That's one of other people's lives just part of your job description or something? I mean, kinda. Okay, well,
0: my marriage is none of your business. You don't know anything about me or my family. Hey, who's going to take this one? Hey, there is the two RPGs, sir. Get her down! Uh, Couldn't save the chaplain. So I guess
1: do whatever it is you do.
0: I just feel like there's something more that's happening between us.
1: It's not between you two. It's between you two and that war. Oh, we got two on the rooftop. Get us out of here! Take them out! I trusted in God
0: to protect those men,
1: and he did... No, you trusted in God to do what you thought he ought to do.
0: I want to know why. I want to know why you somehow have it in you to show up for those men when you refuse to do it for your own wife and kids. Cause those men need me!
1: their snares along the path they have set traps to catch me
0: yep.
1: you are my strong deliverer right yep you shield my head in the day of battle right yep amen amen, amen. 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 standing beside you
0: So one of the things that really stands out to me about the trailer when I first saw it, before I even saw the movie, um, was this scene um, with Sarah Drew, who is April Kepner in Grey's Anatomy. Fantastic actress. Um, There's a scene where she's in the kitchen. Well, they're in a kitchen. um, And they have this breakdown moment. This is after the deployment. This is... um, You know, and again, I have to say, you know, going back in the movie, we were just talking about deployment and, and how Heather and Darren had very different experiences during their deployment. And the movie does, honestly, Heather, a fantastic job. Of showing what it's like for a military couple to go through a deployment, just that back and forth experience of what both of you could be going through in a day. So before we touch on that that kitchen scene, you know, um, let's talk about what was your um, experience of maybe watching the movie on that deployment section, because that really resonated with me. Like I've had those, you know, conversations with my husband where he couldn't take the call when I really needed to talk. And so what was that like for you to watch that?
1: Yeah, that was, it was very good for me to see his end of that. Um, You you feel like that they're just, they're so consumed and they're so busy that they don't really have the time, or I felt like um, we were just kind of inserted into his day when really watching the movie made me realize that we were really what grounded him a lot of the time. Conversations were what grounded him. But, you know, back in those days, you did have to make your phone call in that phone center where you had two minutes and that was it. And then there was this huge delay in conversation. So, and then obviously security issues. So there wasn't really a whole lot of good conversation happening. And, um, and because of the time limit and the, the, the delay, um, you, I would get off the phone almost just more frustrated. Like those phone calls aren't really aren't helpful. <laughs> I feel like mm-hmm. we walk away feeling more distant somehow because we can't really, he can't tell me what's happening and I'm just telling him about the busyness of our life. And I'm realizing that's really, that makes him very sad. He's, he's hearing everything that he's missing. Um, so yeah, I think that just gave me a clearer picture of what it's like on their end.
0: Well, and what I loved about this so much is that there are so many movies out that talk about what it's like for the service member's perspective. Um, A lot of people are drawn to war movies where you're seeing combat and you're seeing um, really heroic actions, which I think is very important for America to be able to see and honor and respect. Um, But there are so few um, depictions or so few movies or, or TV shows that really do a great job of showing what it's like for families back at home and how that dynamic really kind of comes together and collides when you talk about reintegration. Um, And so when you talk reintegration being when that military member comes home and the family is there to greet them. And then how do you establish this new normal of trying to live together again after so long of being apart and after you both have been through something so significant and life changing. So Let's talk about that kitchen scene for just a minute. Um, I know that some of um, some movies is often scripting, um, but I will tell you that that kitchen scene felt very familiar <laughs> from a marriage perspective, from a ministry perspective. And so reintegration was obviously very difficult for you guys.
1: Yeah, the movie was great. And honestly, Darren and I feel like the movie made us look more noble <laughs> in our struggle, you know, that he you know, he was just really trying to serve his guys and I was really trying to serve him. The reality of it is, is that we both just had just emotionally were, ex- what you talked about, combat fatigue. we were both just so exhausted emotionally and so spent emotionally that we really just had very little to give each other. Little patience, little understanding, little compassion. And so he came home very, very angry and for him that comes out very condescending and kind of know it all. So it would, we would come to the point where I'm loading the dishwasher and he would come and reload the dishwasher and then fuss at me because I wasn't doing it right. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, one night he, I I made a meal and he was so angry that I had chosen the wrong kind of bread. He threw the whole meal in the trash can and, you know, his temper had just was disproportionate with the kids to, you know, the punishment was not Mm -hmm. proportionate with the, the offense with the kids. So at this point I am now no longer allegiant uh, you know, now, now no longer allied to him, it's like us and the kids against him. And so now we're not fighting for each other, we're fighting against each other. And I'm trying to change his behavior and trying to force him to talk to me and trying to force him to deal with these issues. He just really wants nothing to do with us because my grappling at him was just overwhelming and my expectations were not realistic for what I thought should be happening between the two of
0: us. Um, yeah. And so what was it like for from his perspective? What would he say, if he were here, what would he say now um, that he was really hoping from his family? Was he Did he feel misunderstood? Did he feel like he had a place to really process what he had gone through during a deployment? What was going on for him?
1: He would say, and he's very hard on himself, but he would say that he just came back very, focused, self-centered, focused on himself. He'd spent 15 months thinking about, worrying about being in charge of no one but himself. And so he would say he came back just fully self-absorbed. And he would also say that he had really drunk the Kool-Aid as far as his identity. And, you know, it was no longer his identity in Christ or his identity as a husband or a dad. He really started to embrace this idea that he was in the army and he was a chaplain and he was a soldier. And so now, really, that's what he was clinging to for his identity and his safety and his comfort. So in his mind, he would say, we just had nothing to offer him at that point. So he he wasn't looking for anything from us, and the one thing he was getting from us was very stressful, which is the kids clamoring for his attention, me clamoring for something, you know, he wasn't quite sure what I wanted from him, and honestly, he just was never home, and he would, I would sit him down and say, you know, we really have to talk about these issues, our marriage is struggling, and I I don't know what's going on, and he would look at his watch and say, sorry, I've got to go for a run, Mm -hmm. and he'd just be gone, and so he was just absent. That's really what I think he would say and was definitely true.
0: So I th- there's so many things about what you're saying that I think military couples and military spouses would relate to. Um, in fact, I hear from a lot of service members that when they go through, especially a longer deployment, that they really find themselves without even realizing it, getting into this place where they, um, they are only taking care of themselves. They're only mindful of when they need to eat and where they need to go and what time they want to go to sleep. And yeah. so I remember actually visiting spout, um, service members on an aircraft carrier and having this conversation with them where they were saying, we just get to a point where we, I mean, we, there's no children running around here. So you just, you don't even, you even stop paying attention to what might be a safety hazard for children because you just get used to taking care of yourself.
1: Right. And so there's
0: so many military couples that would listen to what you're saying and go, we have had that dynamic where um, understandably, a service member comes home, whether they're a chaplain or whatever their MOS is, they come home and they've been in this mode, this pattern for so long, it's hard to readjust into family life, into kids and family meals and, you know, everybody eating the same thing and him not just choosing what he wants to eat. And what is it about dishwashers? It's all about usually dishwashers is where the argument's happen every time, you know, um, it's like the battleground of marriage laundry. and laundry. <laughs> it's amazing. That's what I hear the most as a dishwasher. Uh, my husband and I had an argument over a water bottle, like, because I had my water bottle on the nightstand in a certain place and didn't even realize that that's always where I kept it. So why should you move it? You know, so it is, it is a very stressful, intense time. And this is, if I can remind everybody, this is also back when our deployments were longer, um, now our deployments are six months, nine months, but this is when we're going twelve months, fifteen months. So how long was that deployment for you guys?
1: That de- that was a fifteen month deployment, So and they're threatening eighteen. I know. And you just it you it never occurs to you when you feel like you know someone so well, you just because you know they tell you to expect these things when they deploy, and even even the chaplain will brief the soldiers before they come home to expect these things. But when you know someone so well, it just you can you just cannot imagine that a person can change so much Mm -hmm. in such a short amount of time. Both of us, both of us change so much. And you just you no matter what you're told or what how well you're trained, I just don't think you get it until you actually experience it. And you walk that road and that person comes in the door and you realize this we both have changed so much. It's as if we're going to have to figure out how to be married all over again.
0: So true. And you're right. 15 months is so long to have to redo that. And so you bring up a really interesting point in the fact that your husband is a chaplain. And I know in sharing my own story, what I often hear from people is I had no idea what what, what goes on in a chaplain marriage. Mm-hmm. Like um, so many people... Accidentally, not on purpose, because the role of the chaplain is that we go to the chaplain for counsel, we go to the chaplain for marriage advice, we go to the chaplain when we're struggling with trauma or we're not um, dealing well, you know, coming back home. That so few people think about what that might be like for a chaplain to come home from a deployment, that they're human too. And so I was so overjoyed to see this movie come out about a chaplain couple because I think it does tell the story of what a military couple goes through, but specifically that people of faith, um, people that um, are in leadership positions can also struggle and what an an incredible message that is. And so I want to say thank you you to both of you for being so vulnerable and sharing that message. It's not Always easy to do that because you want people to feel like they can continue to come to you for help. But sometimes the best help that we can offer is to be able to say me too, that this is um, something that we all go through and that this is not easy for anyone. And so talk with everyone about um, the fact that he's a chaplain and maybe some of the things that he experienced from a faith perspective or that both of you maybe experienced from a faith perspective um, you know, because a lot of people would say, "Why would a chaplain couple go through this when they're supposed to have the faith to withstand it?" Right? I, I know that that's not necessarily true, but what was that experience like for you?
1: I think for us, you know, we had been believers. I had been a believer since 1991. This was 2007, so we've we'd grown quite a lot. We you know we'd read all the right books. We'd been to all the right seminars. We. Um, We'd had all the counseling, the right counseling, but really, I think the sanctification is what really the sanctification process. So, you know, when you come to faith, you are justified. So you are rightly positioned before the Lord, and that's you know that's that is resolved. But then the process of sanctification or sanctifying or becoming made more like the image of Christ is lifelong, and. For us, I would say, you know, I really had so much to learn and so did Darren in terms of, for me particularly, just my view of marriage and my view of suffering and how that came together was just, you know, I really had grown to worship a good marriage um, and, or made that my idol. And so all of my efforts in my relationship with Darren and in with my kids was really to create what I had in mind was this ideal godly marriage and godly family, but inadvertently I had really put that on the throne Mm -hmm. and that was driving my self-worth as well. So when our marriage did well, I felt worthy. When my marriage did poorly, I felt like such a failure and it would make me doubt um, you know, who, who I was as a person. And, and so when he came back and our marriage was so falling apart, you know, I really, and I share this with, with uh, couples all the time, I'd gotten to the point where I felt like I'd made the biggest mistake of my life in marrying him. And, and so then
0: I walk continuing to walk that down the road. If I can pause you just for a second. Why do you, why do you think that you felt that way at that time?
1: because in my mind everything i thought marriage was supposed to be Mm -hmm. was not happening Mm -hmm. and everything i'd seen in other marriages happen that i thought oh that would never be me that that would never be us that would never be me all of it was happening (laughs) to us Mm -hmm. and so my conclusion was we just we and and obviously this is satan's lies that Mm -hmm. you know creep in but you know my conclusion was we just we married the wrong people. We're so poorly suited for each other. And, and I'm not good enough. He doesn't really, I'm not what he really wanted because if he really wanted me, then he would check in and he would cherish this relationship and work on it. And so I was taking everything that he was dealing with on me, on my shoulders as if I had failed somehow. Mm -hmm. I had failed him. And so he didn't want me anymore. And, and so for me, um, when our marriage began to fail, I just felt like a failure and that I had made a wrong decision. And if I misheard God on who I chose to marry, or maybe I misheard God on that we should go into the military. What else? What else? How am I supposed to even hear God? Mm-hmm. Am I even a child of God? How, how am I supposed to ever go forward in my relationship with God if everything that's happened up to this point feels like a mistake?
0: So and are you saying then—I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: That was a true crisis of faith for me. I mean, to the point where it shakes your very foundation of me even wondering if I belong to the Lord, if I even had the capacity to hear from the Lord.
0: And so you're saying that a lot of this kind of building up to this crisis of faith, you're saying was a lot because you realized that you were really worshiping the marriage. So in other words as the marriage was falling apart, your faith was falling apart because your faith was too grounded on or on the foundation of the marriage instead of on God.
1: Yes. And just my performance as a wife and a mom, Mm -hmm. you know, that we, I think for women, it's so hard, um, the sin of just comparing ourselves to each other. And so constantly trying to figure out where I came out in that and how well I was doing and really my self-worth was just so wrapped up in my performance. Now, you know, mentally, intellectually, I knew that's not where my self-worth was, but practically I was just not walking it out. And honestly, I just feel like it was the Lord's goodness to send this into our lives, to break that in us. And it took suffering mm-hmm. as a big lesson for me in all of that was just that suffering can be a true gift from the Lord and not to run away from suffering or not to feel like suffering has come from Satan (laughs) or, you know, that suffering is an attack. Mm -hmm. Suffering actually can be a gift from the Lord to break things that are going to end up breaking you. (laughs) And, And so for me, it was just coming to terms with the fact that, you know, we may have a difficult marriage. We may not have what I had always thought was going to be this very tender and loving and thoughtful relationship. That's just not who we are. As uh, in our, That's just not our marriage and coming to terms with, maybe that's how God designed it. Maybe that's what God wants in our lives so that we don't grow too dependent on each other so that we're constantly forced to look to the Lord to fill those, those needs and, uh, you know, not depend on Darren to, to give me my worth, which by the way, is an unbelievable burden to give to a man
0: to tell him he's supposed to make you feel
1: better. (laughs) That's that's repulsive. And so there's just, there's so many lessons in there.
0: I think that that was a process that I had to go through as well. in my own experience of receiving my husband home from that deployment different. He was exhausted. He was, um, he had given everything and he had done well, right? He had done well at his job, but the consequence for doing so well and being so excellent in his job was that he collapsed at home um, and really struggled at home to kind of build back up. And And I kind of had my own crisis, if you will, too, of like, what is it that we're doing? You know, and would a calling ask this much of us? And I had to go through this, the same kind of crisis as well to go. um, This is not the kind of life that I thought that I wanted. This is not the kind of marriage that I thought that I wanted. I thought that we were going to be not blissful all the time, but I thought that we weren't going to have to go through this kind of muck, this kind of difficulty. And I think I had to um, embrace and see my own selfishness in that and realize, wow, I am, like you said, I'm putting so much pressure on my husband to be perfect as if he can't struggle. Like you shouldn't struggle because you're supposed to be stronger than that, you know. And and I've been thinking a lot lately how some of the things that we project on our spouses is a lot of what we are, what's falling through the cracks for us. So while I was, I won't speak that for you in your marriage, but for me, um, I was projecting, asking him to to have it together, to be perfect, to not struggle. Um, but I couldn't do that for myself. I was asking him to be the strength for both of us. And that's where I had to see my own kind of ugliness, if you will. And I wonder if that is kind of a rite of passage for a lot of military spouses that we kind of come into this lifestyle and it's like really awesome and it's patriotic and we get to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, whether you're a chaplain family or a military family. First responders, I see a lot in first responder couples this, um, we're serving our community, we're doing something that's valuable and then it gets hard. And then the consequences of that kind of lifestyle creep into your marriage. And then you have to figure it out. And then you have to ask yourself, who am I? Who am I going to be? And what are my expectations of my spouse and my marriage? So, so you're right. So many lessons in all of that for sure.
1: And I think even just for, even for non-military families, non-service people in service roles have to go through that, you know, they, they, it's, (laughs) the term is the seven year itch, but honestly, I do see that pattern in couples where they hit that, you know, somewhere between five ten years where they really are having to redefine their relationship and what they're willing, what they're willing to do to keep that marriage working because it it does, it gets to that point of the, the hump where things just get harder. You just get tired and typically families by that time have small children. Typically women are, you know, consumed with parenting, and the husband tends to take you know the back seat at that point. And so, I think there's just a lot of factors that typically happen in, in that stage of marriage, but especially when you when you make a decision, and particularly for chaplains, because chaplains, mm-hmm. what most people don't know, are generally older mm-hmm. than their uh, the people that they work with because they've had to do more schooling, and so often. When we come into service, we we are at that place where we have small children already, mm-hmm. and or you know children already, and so there's just some there's some different dynamics there too, particularly for chaplains um, coming into service.
0: Yeah, for sure. And um, again, this is such an incredible story for those um, that really want to see what it's like for a chaplain family. But like you said, even those that are outside the military are going to relate in their own marriage story. Mm-hmm. Um, to what you talk about and what the the movie is about. Um, I'd love to ask you about this turning point because a turning point happened for you guys and that's really what the story is about, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So many couples go through difficulty and suffering, whether it's life issues, medical issues, um, deployments, you know family issues, so much can go wrong in a relationship and in your story. But this is um, a story about redemption and restoration in a family. I mean we need more stories like that. And so what was the turning point for you and for Darren?
1: So when we tell our story, Darren will start by saying, um, "Well, we had been separated and we're not living together, and had been that way for four months. So he, as a chaplain, was just sofa surfing with his his, his friends.
0: Meanwhile, was, was that his decision, or was that your decision, or mutual? My, I asked him to leave.
1: Yeah, he hmm. was not tracking. Um, he was." Utterly, even though I had been saying for months, we have got this is critical mass. Mm -hmm. Um, When I told him he left for airborne school, and I'd said, you know, this needs to be the beginning of of us, uh, you deciding if you're willing to check back in with us and if you're willing to engage. And, and figure out what's going on you know I wanted us to go to counseling I wanted us you know I was just desperate to save our marriage but by this point in our in our marriage there had been so many promises that he had made and broken that my I had been so crushed and so hurt that by this point um, I was done so when he left uh, the house in my mind our marriage was over I started packing our bags I found a place to live back home. I opened my own credit cards, my own checking account. I truly had was done with our marriage. Um, Darren was devastated. He um, had, he would say himself, he was not taking me seriously all of those times when I had tried all the really a year I had been talking to him and that it wasn't until I said, don't come back home that he, he took me seriously. Um, And so for that four months, he would say it was just a process of him being broken. He continued to just try to fix the marriage. Mm -hmm. He was continuing to try to just do whatever I wanted him to do. Um, And it was for Darren, the, the progression was one day we were switching off the kids. So we had it so that he would have the kids some days and I would have kids the other days. And he had dropped the kids off with me. And as they went from his car to my car, whatever happened in that moment, he just broke. I guess seeing the practical, you know expression of what this meant the the consequences of what this of his lack of humbling himself and saying, Lord, you know, search me, figure out, you know, show me what it is that I need to to see going on. And so from that day forward, he was just a broken man. He was no longer trying to fix our marriage. He was no longer trying to please me. He was truly seeking the Lord. And I saw that in him and I could see that little bits by little bits. Um, and then this one particular day I was sitting in my, uh, my kids' rocking chair, where I'd rocked all of them, packing my boxes, and I was just broken at the same time. And there's really nothing that happened. Um, I just came to the point where I realized it was just a surrender. You know, I there is I can choose the Lord's way, and He prefers marriage. He's for marriage. There are reasons for divorce, but He is for marriage. And if He is for it, then will He really equip us for that? And I. And I had to come to terms with the fact that even if we have a difficult marriage, I would rather be in a difficult marriage in the Lord's will Mm -hmm. than pursue my own interests and pursue my own desires and be out of His will experiencing what I knew would not be um, peace and, and blessing for my children. And so that day, I just... Surrendered, and I just said, I'm willing to walk this road of difficult marriage simply because you said that's what we should do. Mm -hmm. And it was as if blinders fell off my eyes in that moment, to where literally just that one baby step of obedience and that one baby step of surrender made the next step even easier and made it the truth even clearer and made the next step even clearer. So it really only takes just one tiny baby step of surrender and the Lord will meet you there. And he met me there. And so by the end of that afternoon, Darren had come home to the house to swap the kids out. He just walked in the room and just broke down in my arms and that was it. I decided that day, we're going to work this out. For better or for worse. And this my guide is no longer how I feel about our marriage. My guide is no longer how well I'm performing this marriage. My guide from here on out is I will do this as unto the Lord, regardless of what the outcome is. And so that was our turning point. So slowly I began to warm to him, but it truly took a full year for my emotions to catch up with my willful decision mm-hmm. so he moved back into the house we did get out of the army for a year um, and he resigned his commission for and for people that don't know what that means that he quit which is a really really big deal mm-hmm. he resigned his commission we moved back to Atlanta for a year we got uh, under some really good counseling care we got involved in a really good church and we just spent that year really getting to know each other again under new terms of um, we're okay if neither of us get it right, gets it right, mm. and that's not what we're going to look for anymore is for the other one to get it right for our sake, and but it did it took a full year before. I had those warm fuzzies and was glad that we were back together kind of emotions. So it was a very long process. Um, but I can say on the other side of it, our relationship now is so much richer,
0: so much more. This is genuine agape love for each other. And if I can point out and just stress, cause you're stressing it as well. And I just want to like back that up that what you're saying is that, um, you decided to pursue your marriage even though you didn't feel like it, that you went after your marriage because you felt like it was what God was calling you to do, that God was for marriage, that he um, had not released you and given you those grounds for divorce and that you trusted that a God could, um, that could provide for you and strengthen you and show you these steps. And that again, this was a full year before you emotionally felt those feelings probably of security or emotional stability and maybe that connection coming back again, but that you chose obedience um, within a safe relationship. So if I can just stress that caveat just for a second, that there might be those that are listening that are maybe not in a safe relationship where if there's any abuse or if there's anything that's destructive in your marriage that causes you to feel that you are not physically safe, that we would encourage you to get that professional help. But in Heather's um, circumstance, there wasn't that physical lack of safety. It was the emotional disconnect. It was um, the the marriage disconnect and the misunderstanding that was going on between the two of them. And when I say misunderstanding, that's not a light misunderstanding. This is a misunderstanding of completely separate experiences, and then trying to come back and reintegrate, which means to re kind of reconnect, come together, collaborate, find a new normal. It doesn't have to be the way that it used to be. And so that's a choice that we have in marriage to decide, can we together create a new normal? Um, But that takes a lot of selfless sacrifice to go. I know from a spouse perspective, self-sacrifice to go, Maybe I don't have, have it all right. Maybe my way of working with the kids isn't the only way. Maybe my way of doing the dishwasher isn't the best way all the time. But really a lot of that self-sacrifice to go, even though I don't feel like loving you, I'm going to choose to act like I love you. Would that be an okay way to say it? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, um, I've never, i never
1: believe in the statement, you know, fake it till you make it. But in the case of obedience and particularly in marriage, just the practice of making loving choices, making choices to be kind and to serve another person, it really does have a formative effect on your heart. Um, I mean, obviously it is, has to be from the inside out, the work of the Holy spirit in your heart. But like I said, you know, that first choice, that first decision to surrender does bring clarity to the truth and does bring clarity and and, um, the power to make that next good choice to love your spouse. And the Lord's promises are true. He does equip us for what he's called us for. And so he will restore all of those other parts of that relationship. Um, but for me and what we needed to learn, for me, I just had a lot of growing up to do and not living by my emotions. And so for this was the journey that the Lord had for me in order to sort that issue out. It may, may look like some may look very different for someone else. but for me and what for the Lord to bless me with a truly um, beautiful marriage, he knew that He had to cr- take that false foundation away from me and as painful as it was, I'm so thankful. Um and I still try to I still try to crawl back up on that foundation all the time. And so it's a constant crap you know, constant crushing and, you know, we still we still are just difficult people. We just have it we're not one of those couples that just get along. We're both very strong old people or, you know, very opinionated people. And so it's, a, it's just a constant work in our lives, but now we see each other not as each other's enemies, but as each other's battle buddy in it now that we're fighting for each other,
0: not against each other. Usually. Well, and, all right. And I also appreciate the fact that you're saying that this wasn't something that just one person had to work on, that both of you had to show up for your marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, so often I hear military spouses and first responder spouses that will say, you know, I just want him to go first. Like, I'm tired. I'm mm-hmm. doing all the work. I'm watching the kids. I'm, just, you know, asking for the marriage counseling. I'm, you know, asking for the Bible study or I'm asking for things to change. And then you reach that point and you just kind of accept the resentment instead and the bitterness and you just go, you know what? I'm tired. You go. And um, what your story and your message is really about two people who decided that they wanted to be for each other and two people came together Mm -hmm. to work on that. But I'm hearing also, Heather, that you took responsibility for your side of it and said, I'm going to choose to be obedient and that I don't have control over Darren's decisions.
1: Yeah. And then it's so funny. The, uh, the commander's wife during that, um, that deployment had us all t-shirts made for the FRG leaders and it said, put your big girl panties on. Yes. <laughs> and so I, as you're talking, I'm thinking, yeah, th- yeah. In your marriage, sometimes you got to put your big girl panties on and realize the same Holy Spirit that he gave your husband to mm-hmm. rise up to the occasion. He gave you too mm-hmm. to rise to the occasion. And you know, that's why, Two are better than one because sometimes he can't. He's now. And you've got to be the one who is going to um, seek the Lord on the on behalf of, of each other. And, um, you know, I want Darren to be the rescuer and the protector, but the reality is, is God gave us to each other to be that for each other and sometimes he's 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 taking the lead in that fight and I'm he's just dragging me you know by one arm and sometimes you spiritually that that it's the other way around and yeah I think you're exactly right you're exactly right
0: so this movie that's now coming out, strange, I'm sure, to have your life, you know, even remotely portrayed on on a screen, um, with fantastic actors that did such a great job um, respecting your story, um, you know, I just, I think, I want to ask, what is your overall message as couples are going to see this movie? What would you want them to walk away with?
1: I would love for couples to walk away. Feeling the freedom to be broken, mm-hmm. and feeling the freedom to share their their deepest fears and insecurities about their marriage, about their parenting, about their relationships in general. I mean, there's we have so many relationships um, that people would no longer, especially people of faith, Christians particularly, would no longer feel like um, that they have to maintain this false sense of of a. a of having arrived because none of us have arrived Mm -hmm. until we know until we shed these you know shed these cumbersome bodies and so i really hope that people walk out of that theater and will turn to their spouse or turn to their parent whoever and say you know what i'm broken Mm -hmm. and i don't know what to do i don't know what to go where to go from here and i'm broken broken and hopeless and until you get to that point i don't think that you are able to take the next step of, of walking through healing and the process of working on it. So I really just hope people will find security in knowing that brokenness can be a blessing and that brokenness is a beautiful thing. And that's, that's where, you know, beauty comes from the ashes of that, those broken things and, and being secure enough in the Lord that he can handle that. He can handle your admission because he already knows it, Um, and not you know not running from the fear that this this was the biggest mistake of my life and it cannot be turned around and it cannot be repaired because that's just not true. If anyone was at the place of disrepair, I would say I was there. I was gone and I was done. I had no desire to continue in that relationship. And so, if the Lord can restore my heart from the dark place that it was, then there is hope for anyone out there.
0: And I think if you're going to go out and see this movie, um, it comes out October 26th, um, my encouragement would be to make it a date night, to really go out as a couple and watch this movie together and to not just go see the movie and then, you know, that's it, go home, but to really allow yourself some kind of cushion where you can go and see the movie and then have a place of conversation, go out for coffee or get a cup of coffee and sit in the car. I can't tell you how many times my husband and I have seen a very like move, a vulnerable movie that really moved us both. And we just sat in the car for hours and just talked about how did that impact our perspectives. And so this is one of those movies that I would highly encourage those listening to, um, don't just go to this movie flippantly, go, go to it with intentionality that it can start conversation for your marriage, that it might be able to give you some words in your communication that you maybe didn't have before. But I do believe that it's going to set your hearts in the right place to have that healthy conversation. Because like Heather is saying, it is a movie about restoration. It's a hopeful movie for your marriage. And so if you're looking for hope, if you're looking for a direction, if you're looking for a good story that's true, that can remind you that your marriage can turn around, even if you don't know how to do it, that this movie can be a discussion starter for what that can look like for your life. So, Heather, thank you for just sharing your story, for joining me today, for sharing um, the vulnerability of your own walk of faith and how it's gone through this roller coaster ride. I think that's accurate of almost everybody. Um, For those that might be listening that are chaplain families, um, I can't stress to you enough coming from two chaplain spouses, how important it is to take care of your own faith system, to take care of your own relationship with God, to know that you don't have to be perfect, that your marriage doesn't have to be perfect, and for goodness sake, your spouse does not have to be perfect either, and that we are all in this together, and that we can provide stories of hope based off of our authenticity of what our walk with God is like. Um, that can sometimes be the best ministry that's out there. Thanks for listening to the LifeGiver podcast. If you're enjoying these conversations as being free of advertising or sponsorship, please help me by spreading the word to other military and first responder families that might benefit from the show. If you'd like to find out more about me or LifeGiver, you can find more information at www.coryweathers.com or life-giver.org.